Section six of How to Sing. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. How to Sing by Lily Lehman. Translated by Richard Aldrich. Section six. The Attack and the Vowels. Our ear perceives sounds. A single tone, as ordinarily held in the conception of singer and listener, does not really exist. To the musician, each separate tone holds component parts that give height, strength, and depth. As soon as the singer realizes this very important point, he will comprehend the difficulties of the vocal art, and will learn to overcome them. The attack. In the attack, the breath must be directed to a focal point on the palate which lies under the tone height. And now, uniting with its strength and depth, it is made to resonate in this strongly concentrated space formed by the relative position of the vocal organs. To this end are necessary a knowledge of all vowel functions and a well-trained ear sensitive to all perfect vowels used in singing, not those that have become habit through the uncontrolled speech of the untrained, but those which the noble art of song demands. Often great misunderstandings, if not indeed ill effects, are brought about when teachers in the beginning of their instruction demand of their pupils pure-sounding vowels. For pure vowels, in the strict sense of tonal art, cannot, unless the pupil is unusually favoured, be produced at all. The pure singing or tone vowel is not at all pure in the ordinary sense of the word. On the contrary, because of the tone form necessary, it is rather complicated. It even becomes more complicated through the different tone colourings which it is compelled to adopt, according to register, pitch, interval, syllable, and word combination, usage of speech, or tonal art. It is possible to sing twenty different E, A, R, O, O's, which in their own nature, already mixed, sound pure and intelligible in the word. The vocal organs must adjust themselves simultaneously to the speech usage and art of song to aid one in striving towards the highest degree of beauty and ability. The teacher must, while the pupils sing, begin to explain the tone form, how the vowel is really made with the aid of other vowels, and draw their attention to the cooperation of the different vowels on each tone while they are vocalising. They must learn to unite one vowel with another by the aid of the semi-vowel y. Then they must be taught to combine two and three, and gradually be made to enunciate them artistically. A perfect tone can only be made by the skilful blending of several vowels, and on the other hand, well-sounding vowels of carrying quality can only be created in a perfect tone. In the recognition of the complicated process of uniting several vowel forms to make one, lies the secret of the true attack.
the foundation pile and conception of which we are now ready to consider. If one has tabulated the vowels for the physiological processes of the vocal organs, and accustomed oneself to think in these vowels musically, it is not difficult to set the correct form for the attack, provided one has, through practice, fully mastered the work of each separate vowel. Above all, strike out the so-called pure vowel R, since it is the root of all evil, and also eliminate from the memory that it is a single tone. Even though the vowel R in various combinations sounds like R, it has, notwithstanding in its fundamental feature of vowel blending necessary to its tone form, nothing in common with the accustomed vowel R as it is ordinarily spoken. Our musical table for the vowel R and for the attack presents itself as follows. Vowel E equals tone height, tone carrier, head voice. Vowel A equals strength, brightness, place determining vowel, note line upon which the tone soars. Vowel O equals tone depth, flexibility, covering, euphony, chest resonance. These three vowels concentrated in the proper mixture and attacked simultaneously give the vowel R as the artist needs it. They determine the fundamental position of each tone and are at the same time the attack itself which is neither a single vowel nor a separate function of the vocal organs, but a triple sound on one tone. As here three vowels flow together, which we must according to necessity change and yet unite, we still need another binding medium by which the closed form will be kept flexible. For this purpose we can best use the semi-vowel y. It is pronounced with the broad back of the tongue against the soft palate, which sinks toward the tongue and thus closes off the form of the inner mouth. If we do not wholly dissolve the y position while pronouncing vowels, consonants, and words, that is, if we do not entirely remove the back of the tongue from the soft palate, and if in addition pronounce or think oo thereto, then the middle part of the tongue falls under the teeth, the soft palate draws upward toward the nose, and the vowel form remains prepared for each succeeding vowel. It is best to imagine the y as a hinge formed with tongue and palate. It binds all letters with one another. Shut in the back by the union of palate and back of tongue, and also the pillars of the fauces, it allows of a flexible opening upward toward the nose by means of e, and downward toward the chin by means of oo. The e and oo, though, are fastened to the hinge as if by rubber bands. The ordinary r, as practically pronounced by every layman, and so often demanded by many teachers of their pupils, is an absurdity, as the tongue is usually pressed down, not only by false habit, 
but often pressed down artificially with instruments. This leads to flat, ordinary, defective singing, if not often to the ruin of the voice itself. E.g. begin to pronounce from y. In pronouncing the vowel e, all the tendons and muscles of the nose and cheeks are drawn into activity. The nostrils, and with them the pillars of the fauces, distend. With a, we place the larynx closer under the nose, and connect both vowels so that when we say a, we mix it with e, and when we say e, we mix it energetically with a. The A position is the first and chief action for the attack of all singing and pronunciation, and must, under all conditions, whether narrower or wider, darker or brighter, stronger or entirely toned down, be always retained. The A gives the tone concentrated strength. It opens the epiglottis. It frequently happens that pupils, even singers, do not set the larynx in place at all. The tone lacks strength and energy, and wavers to and fro without support. Such a fault can only be remedied if the pupil or singer energetically sets A before every tone or letter, in doing which he must have the sensation of pushing the larynx directly under the nose into the chin. After having secured the first position, setting the larynx with A, we, with our thoughts dwelling on E, place the broad back of the flexible tongue against the entire palate which sinks towards it. The nose dilates still wider, and we reach, as if drawn by rubber bands, the E which vibrates above the nose, by which action the larynx fixes itself still closer. Avoid all pressure of the tongue. From this second position, we pass to the third as soon as we have assured ourselves of the y hinge. With our thoughts on oo, we then draw back quickly the point of the tongue from under the lower teeth, and let everything that lies under the tongue drop flexibly, and pronounce now, with the lips pushed forward, the vowel oo. By means of y, a remains joined to E, and cannot and must not be lost in any vowel. Through this tongue and larynx action, the soft palate has separated itself from the back of the tongue, leans toward the nose, and so covers the tone. But the back of the tongue, nevertheless, lies in the Y position as high and supple as possible. By means of the tongue thus raised, the closely but flexibly held larynx, and the free and slightly covered nose, the two bright vowels partially remain, and combine with them the dark vowel, thus making a complete singing tone. That is, the requisite triple vowel sound which sounds like R, but which isn't it in the usual comprehension. In the gently concentrated A and E form, a minute space between the forepart of the tongue and the palate is created by the above-mentioned change, which space gives place to the tone that is now mixed with chest resonance. By setting the larynx low, or better by making it supple, the chest resonance is introduced, 
by means of the y form, which is closed toward the back of the mouth, the tone is kept forward. And this kind of singing, there is only one really good kind, which varies in each individual according to the size of the voice and the skill, is called singing toward the front. The sensation created by the relative position of the triple vowel sound stretches from the nose over the palate, over the back and root of tongue, larynx, chest, ribs, down to the diaphragm. The higher we wish to sing, the more positive and elastic we have to regard the A-line as the centre of each tone and attack. The higher and more flexibly the nose and tongue function with E and A operates, so much deeper down to the diaphragm the tension with OO extends, which then seems to ring out in E and beyond it, as if it were a perpendicularly stretched string. Cramp or pressure is not allowable, but a very strong energy is necessary to preserve the muscular tension, in spite of its firmness, elastic, well-balanced, and still keep united the various muscles put in play. With the vowel R, we must especially see that the tongue, accustomed to wrong usage, under no condition returns to its old position but that it is always directed by y to its true position. If in the beginning the vowel r created on the triple vowel basis sounds at times more like a or e or oo, we must not become disconcerted, for through conscious practice the tongue will, notwithstanding, become accustomed to its work. There is no other road to perfection. If the difficulties of the R lie in the giving up of old habits and in the readjustment on the triple vowel basis, then the A vowel brings others with it. As I have said before in speaking of the attack, in order to make the vowel sound A, the larynx is with energy brought in closer relation with the nose. By raising the nostrils a preparation is made. The sensation is then as if the larynx were under the nose in the chin. If we then sing A energetically, we soon become conscious of an inherent strength, which is created partially by the energetic opening of the epiglottis in the pronunciation of A, and partially by the position of the larynx, which makes possible the attack of the breath on the hard palate. This A strength must be inherent in every tone indeed in every letter. Wisely to use it, to distribute it, apply it flexibly, not to overstrain it in the fortissimo, nor lose it in the piano, is an art in itself, and moreover a great part of the art of singing. For me it is the note-line on which, as on a balance, I measure my tone-power, weighing it as if on a scale, balancing it upward and downward. It is the kernel of every tone, the binding medium between strong and weak. It is a power that we must continually economize, and yet again lavishly but wisely expend. So many singers are, for this reason, not able to markieren, to outline a composition by accenting certain notes 
because they let go of this elastic but energetic strength of the A position, and have nothing left but a disunited E, which suffices for the loose head-tones of the higher range, but is inadequate when the singer wishes to markieren in a lower range. To sing mezzo voce does not mean to destroy the relative position of the vocal organs, nor to relax the muscular tension and only to peep, but to sing easily and well with the completely established relation of the vocal organs whose power only is diminished. We must therefore in the softest piano make use of this power necessary to the perfect tone and with energy keep it flexible. We may distribute it elastically. We may increase it by extending it to the helping vowels and organs. We may decrease it to its minimum power, but never wholly dispense with it. It transfers itself into energy, which, swayed on elastic foundation, supported by elastic muscles of the vocal organs, must ever be present. Even then, when we are not singing, that is, during the pauses in a song or role. This energy which has during the pauses readjusted itself in preparatory concentration must exist continuously in our body, and it must impart itself to the listener who is unconscious of its effect, and be a binding link between artist and audience. Our brightest vowel, E, would be weak and colourless without the help of A. Both vowels are closely united and are dependent on each other. E receives strength from A, A lightness and tone height from E. Think them united as if with a rubber band. In continual change, closely united, they meet first at one and then at another end of their course. Neither must OO ever be sung or spoken alone. It retains the A position and the A, for without it it would sound hollow and weak. Generally it needs in addition the help of E, which opens the much-covered nose. We have now sufficient proof that one vowel can never be sung alone, as tonal perfection and the art of song make other demands. Not until all vowel positions have become habit to the quickly acting memory and to the muscles dare we speak of technical artistic skill, and are we able to rely on our knowledge. Then only can we speak of a musically trained ear when all the demands that art has a right to exact have become clear. This is not all. In addition to the mixing of vowels, we must think of enunciating them, which is of the greatest importance to the word which is to be pronounced, and not only think of the necessary tone colour for each word and letter. The vowel O is uncomfortable, inasmuch as one is easily tempted to exaggerate the necessary enlargement of the form. We must hold the enlarged form round, and cut off and make all helping vowels, like E, A, U, still more flexible than with other letters. In order to comprehend all of this, we must at first exaggerate everything, 
also the vowel colouring. But as soon as we, led by good teachers, become sure of our ear and judgment, we begin to see how the smallest nuances change the tone and how fine the effect is. The more delicately they are applied in the various degrees of strength, the richer the colour, the nobler and more vital they will be able to harmonise tone, word and sentiment which the soul of the artist desires to express. End of section 6